Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. Joining me as ever is my co-host and fellow editor on the Light Reading staff, Kelsey Zeiser. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Phil. How's things? Pretty good. They're doing some kind of construction on our street. I have no idea what, but oh boy, picking up the road. <laughs> oh, this it's a it's it's always exciting because it means your power could go out, your broadband could go down. There's there's all kinds of fun <laughs> fun implications. Yeah, we have like really old um, pipes in this neighborhood, so I'm I'm actually like more worried about water. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could be without water too. Boy, yeah. there's so many, uh, yeah, so many things to look forward to. Well, yeah. I, I, I hope that that doesn't interrupt your, uh, uh, your day too badly. Um, it does tell me though, we need, we, we need to press on then and maybe not, uh, um, maybe not waffle too much on the podcast because <laughs> <laughs> who knows what's going to happen in a few minutes. Um, so, uh, our, our guest today is, uh, uh, Pablo Tomasi. He's been a frequent guest on the program and, uh, he is the principal analyst at private, uh, for private networks at Omdia, our colleague inside of the Informa tech universe. Hey, Pablo, how are you? Hey, Gil. Hey, Kelsey. I'm very good here. Thanks. And hopefully there is no working happening outside my apartment. So <laughs> it should be good to go from my end. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Hoping, uh, Hoping all the, I mean, this is the work from home, you know, reality, right? Um, street repairs uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, the the loudest thing that that tends to happen is when they come by and pick up the garbage cans because um, they don't just pick them up. The the guy seems to, and this is just how it sounds, but it sounds like he always throws them like a block away because you hear them hit the ground and then too. they just roll for a while. Yeah. They end up in the street. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think they've, I think there's some kind of sport that they've associated with their jobs. And I'm kind of jealous because I really would like to operate one of those big hydraulic arms and just yeah. like chuck those things a mile. <laughs> but so I get it. I get the whole thing, but it, it makes for terrible podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. All right. Well, beyond all that. So, uh, uh, Pablo's just finished a, a, a report uh, called Private LTE and 5G Networks Market Forecast from uh, 2020 through 2025. And um, as you might expect, uh, this is all about uh, the private networks market and how that's um, evolving. Um, let's see. So I guess the, the the best place to start is to talk about the size of the network itself and and, and, the, and the growth potential there. So how big of a market are we looking at or is Omni expecting to see in the next five years for private networks? Yeah, that's definitely a great place to start. And what we see in the market is that by 2025, if we're considering sort of the key building blocks of private networks, so run, core, and professional managed services, the size of the market would be 5.2 billion. And this is the, the global market. Now, this itself, if we compare it to some of the revenues that we see, for instance, on the consumer side for telcos, it's, it's a modest opportunity. But what, what the way that we see it is that private networks is a complementary opportunity at the moment. So it's a way for vendors and for service providers to start breaching the gap and entering different industry and, and getting additional revenues. What's important to remember, though, is that private networks on their own will not change the fortune of a vendor or a service provider. So their core revenue back is they still do, they need to remain strong while private networks grow. 
and, and what, what's interesting about this market is that while the network itself uh, may not be a huge market, what it enables is for uh, uh, vendors and providers to effectively um, enter into new relationship with the enterprise. So it provides them with the ability to sell additional services and additional technologies. And we actually we run a, a, a survey uh, later in, in 2020. And one of the questions was uh, exactly on whether an enterprise would be willing to purchase additional uh, services or additional technologies. And the vast majority, uh, something around 99% of respondents, would buy an additional technology along with the private networks. And, and that's what we see as the clear opportunity going forward. Okay, so it's a it's a real like um, a foot in the door, so to speak, uh, yeah, at, at enterprises. And just to clarify, so in in five years, you're looking at it to be a little more than five billion dollar market globally. Um, are we starting at about what is it about one billion this year or or thereabouts? Yeah, it's just about one billion this year, and that's okay. one of the of the interesting fact about this market. Like everyone talks about private networks, but at the end of the day right now in this time and place it's not a big market mm -hmm. this is a market that is starting now that it is developing and it is growing healthily but it's still modest as i said mm -hmm. complementary are you expecting um to see different um growth in in opportunities uh on a regional basis um for example how does the the opportunity for this market compare in the Americas versus Europe? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And the reason why it's a great question, because what we see now when looking at the private networks market is that it's uh, it's pretty much very, very much defined by the different regions. A private networks market starts with spectrum becoming available to enterprise, where it's like shared, where it's like uh, dedicated for industries. And that's the first step that is essential for the market to grow. Without that, there is really no, no incentive to develop the private networks market. And if you look at the different regional opportunities, uh, we forecast uh, uh, EMEA to be the largest opportunity. And this is because there are different factors that are all aligning at this point in time, making this uh, the, the most um, potentially most successful market for private networks. I mean, we started talking about spectrum as an essential enabler. And if we think about pretty much all the, the largest European economy, UK, France, and Germany, as well as other countries, such as Finland and the Netherlands, they all have spectrum that can be purchased by the enterprise for their private networks. And if we look at the ecosystem as well, you have uh, the Nokia, Ericsson, they're all pretty keen to get their hands on the private networks opportunity. And even service providers have been uh, they are based in Europe, so the Vodafone, Telefonica, Deutsche Telekom, and Orange, they are all eyeing this opportunity, so they all want to be part of this private networks market. And, and one last point that makes Europe special, if you want, uh, we shouldn't forget that Industry 4.0 pretty much was created in Europe. And if you look at mm -hmm. the big industrial vendors, the largest units of the world, if you look about car manufacturers, they all start with uh, with Europe, and when you align yeah. all these factors, that then you see how this is a key region for private networks. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's also um, yeah. I think the industry for four point um, opportunity kind of yeah. It really got started as a networking opportunity in Europe. Um, so it, it 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 stands to reason that with 
um, a favorable spectrum scenario that uh, that those telcos would be uh, would be able to to seize the opportunity a little bit more quickly um, there in in the U.S. I guess it's it's down to CBRS spectrum, right? Is that kind of the thing that's going to unlock the private networks opportunity in the Americas? Yes, if you look at the, at the U.S., CBRS is is an initiative that is driving the uh, the momentum for private networks. What's what's interesting here is that, as we discussed before, I believe CBRS is not just private networks; it's private networks, but it's a lot of other additional use cases. So it will drive the market. But if we take, for instance, Germany, you have a uh, hundred megahertz of prime five G spectrum that is exclusively to be used by enterprises. That's a different approach that would probably yeah. push the market faster. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that, that leads to our next question is just sort of, you know, when and where is 5G going to be a factor in private networks? Because one of the big takeaways, I think, from, you know, our symposium uh, last year on private networks that you you chaired was, was that there was so much opportunity just, you know, in terms of LTE and, you know, current wireless technologies it's it, it's it'll be interesting to kind of hear about you know your take on um on where 5g becomes a factor and 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 how soon you're looking for that to happen um, so there are different moving pieces when it comes to to 5g so on on, on one side what you currently see now is that every vendor every provider and any company they, they want to highlight 5g Whatever is happening has to be 5G related. So that sort of create the hype, create that expectation. Now, while we look a little bit beyond that, what we see is that the majority of the deployments now, and we're tracking deployments in our private network traffic, are based on LTE technology. Uh, this is because LTE is a more mature technology, and there are still a lot of uncertainty related with 5G. And if we look at sort of the evolution of cellular, you can start with LTE prove uh, on investment, prove that you can support the use case, and then you can move to, to 5G when the times come. Now, the uh, the problem with 5G is that what technology is uh, is taking all the right steps to, to become the key technology, and eventually it will become the key technology for private networks. There are still um, steps that need to be taken. So there are some, uh, there is a process that sort of needs to, uh, to develop in these types of devices. If you don't have devices, then well, well <laughs> what are you going to connect to your private right, yeah. <laughs> And for the device, you need to you need to get the standard. Uh, you need to get modules device. You need to integrate them with industrial solutions, and then you need to get those industrial solutions or the industrial devices to be part of a series or refreshment cycle. So that creates not one year, but a few years before you can actually have all the elements aligned for five G. So probably say is going to be uh, three years or something, so the, the midterm before we can see 5G really accelerate. What's also important to remember though, is that even once 5G starts accelerating, uh, it's going to be an incremental opportunity. It's going to be about private 5G networks to the average factory deploying private 5G to support uh, one or two use cases, to test the technology, to make sure, to make sure that it works. It's not going to be we have private 5G. Let's cover every single use cases that we have, and let's make this back because that's not how a lot of industrial verticals work. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the the, the device argument's a powerful one too because um, 
the LTE market, you know, there's there's all all manners of IoT and, and industrial devices that have been manufactured over the years because it's you know been um, uh, out there for so long. So so obviously that's a, a, a I would say I guess a less expensive entry point for for a company that's looking at private networks. Mm-hmm. You also highlighted in the report that there's, um, you know, a big opportunity for manufacturing in the private networks um, opportunity. Why is um, there such a big and, and urgent need for private networks for manufacturing specifically? So if we're looking at different verticals, um, you know, taking a, a general view, industrial verticals are the ones that, that look to be better served by private networks and that include manufacturing, energy, utility and transport. Now specifically, we identify manufacturing as the largest opportunity for different reasons. Uh, first of all, it's uh, it's about the size of the market. And we, we can draw sort of a simple comparison with, uh, you know, logistics with ports, for instance. I mean, ports can definitely benefit from private networks and quite a few of them are doing that, but there is a very limited number of, of ports globally. Uh, when you compare that with the number of manufacturing sites, you can see how definitely manufacturing is a larger opportunity. And one of the other reasons why manufacturing uh, manufacturing is so important and it is because this is a world that is, has been heavily reliant on wire connectivity. So everything, the most important, most critical uh, uh, devices and machineries need to be connected with a wire. And uh, this constrains certain innovation. And when we're thinking about Industry 4.0, it, it sort of uh, uh, prevents certain development, certain innovation. And uh, we were thinking about uh, the reconfigurability, modularity, or flexibility on the factory floor, which are all key aspects of the Industry 4.0 um, initiative. We understand that you need to have a wireless connectivity in order to enable that because wired is not flexible enough. I mean, it's, it's wired, so kind of <laughs> standard fact that you need to have the cable there. Uh, and if you have a wireless connectivity that can deliver similar performance to the wire, to the wire, uh, then you really have a solution that could could revolutionize the market. It's not going to be an easy journey or a fast journey. And that's one of the most important takeaways for me. You will not happen immediately, it will not have to happen tomorrow, but it's going to be a long journey, but that can bring outstanding results. Oh, that's a good, that's a good observation because I think on the, you know, when you unwire a manufacturing facility, you also potentially, you know, this depends on the business, of course, but I guess you potentially unlock the, the possibility that you could, instead of having one giant floor, you kind of could change your real estate needs a little bit. Like maybe you can make some part of it somewhere else, some part of it nearby, but not, you know, not require these massive wired, you know, uh, this massive building and then massive wired infrastructure to support it. Um, so that's, that's, that's compelling. Uh, that'll be interesting to see if that, if, if that takes shape over the next few years. Um, so, uh, I guess the, uh, as the service provider market is concerned, you know, one of the other areas that we've covered over the years that, that in my mind sounded a little bit like 
the private networks opportunity as it was coming up was smart cities. And I know they're completely different in their scope, but one of the things they had in common, or at least one of the things that, that has, um, been a hindrance to smart cities is that there's too many moving parts, um, too many, uh, you know, applications and network, uh, uh, configurations to get right. And there weren't enough ways to sort of repeat successes from city to city and then lower the margins and, you know, make it a better business for service providers. Um, is, is there anything different about the private networks opportunity that, um, you know, that, that looks more attractive and maybe not as big of a, um, uh, I, I guess not as big of a logistical mess as, <laughs> as the smart cities opportunity turned out to be. But this is extremely interesting, uh, also because before taking private networks and covering IT, I was covering smart cities. So I'm quite familiar with the market and with the challenges uh, that, that still exist in, in that specific vertical. <clears throat> now, if you look at private networks and if you look at smart cities, the truth is that there are many of the same challenges in this market as, as we were discussing. Uh, you can see the same sort of fragmentation between private networks and between smart cities. And a service provider has struggled a lot with that. And to, to be honest, uh, I didn't think that anyone has really been successful in the smart city space. Now, the big question for me is, from a service provider point of view, did they learn their lessons from smart cities, from IoT? Have they been able to, to digest you know, what type of market is there? What type of challenge will they be facing? What are the time frames that they need to take account for this market to be uh, successful? Now, what we see now is that telcos are entering the market, they are announcing their portfolio, they are announcing their solutions, and we expect for um, 2021 and 2022, pretty much every telco to uh, to chip in, to say, I want to be part of private networks. Uh, but then, in, in the longer term, telcos, they, they need to, to understand that this will be a fragmented market there will likely be a lot of customization needed, it's going to be extremely competitive because everyone wants to be in private network. So if they are happy with all these elements, then they can remain in the private network's market and they can develop their solution. And it's also important, something that we said before, this is not a quick win. This market will take time. Now, if a service provider is willing to put the time money, resources, you know, uh, training their sales um, personnel and making sure that it has all the, the elements and, and be happy with the market that it, it will never be sort of a, a consumer to the zero market, then absolutely they, they can play a role. But if they're not, if they have um, different expectations, if they expect a quick win, an easy market where they can replicate success with no effort, then uh, I'm afraid that it's going to be very challenging for them. This is what I see at the moment. And I, I can't imagine this market getting any easier. That, that makes sense. Um, and, and yeah, well put. I, I think it's, it's it also, because of that enterprise opportunity that this unlocks, it might be a more um, uh, tempting proposition for them because the longer they stay in it, the more opportunity it un unlocks. Whereas... In the smart cities arena, the same thing is probably true, but the timeline seems like a lot longer um, and, and, and a lot more uh, challenging because of politics and things like that. 
yeah, I, th I think we've um, well covered it. And uh, yeah, thanks, Pablo. Appreciate Pablo, you Pablo, thanks us. so much for uh, being on. And uh, we'll get you, you can get the report at omdia.com if you're an Omdia client. If you're not, look, look, uh, keep peeking over at Light Reading. We'll be covering uh, bits and pieces of the market and uh, what the service providers are doing as ever. And uh, yeah, Pablo, thanks for being on the podcast. See you. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the audience for listening to us. Thanks to our amazing producer, Tian Fu, for all his hard work editing the podcast. And also a big thanks to our listeners for tuning in and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have any ideas about a future podcast topic or a potential guest for the show, please email us at editors at lightreading.com. Please also tell a friend to subscribe and thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. We'll see you next time.